you know, another issue too is actually that I'm figuring out a lot of these people don't even know that I exist. Like don't, they don't know that he has a son. So like, you know, I'm getting emails saying I'm an imposter and how, you know, I'm, I'm pretending to be Michael sweet and, um, and you know, it's, it's hard to convince someone like, no, I'm just his son. And they're like, he doesn't have a son. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I love that. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Growing Up Christian. I'm Sam. I'm Casey. And we are just hanging out, doing an intro here. Uh, Casey, I don't know how your week's been going, but today was uh, not super fun for me. I had my second COVID vaccine shot yesterday. And Oh, uh, you got the, uh, the creeping COVID crud? Yeah, I feel pretty shitty today, so it uh, hasn't stopped me from drinking a beer tonight. Uh, I'm sure the doctor is advised against that, but I, uh, that's the best medicine. What What is your like beer of choice? Uh, it changes all the time. If I'm just sticking with light beer, it's like Millie Vanilli's Miller, Miller Lights, it's like whatever you can shoplift this week. Yeah, <laughs> whatever is like hanging out at the back of a grocery store parking lot. <laughs> Um, yeah, I usually go for like light beer uh, or if it's light beer, I usually go for, um, Miller lights, but otherwise there's this place it's in, um, Western mass, uh, but it's probably like an hour ish away from me, but I've never been out there, but, uh, they have a beer called fresh pick and that's like one of my all time number one go-tos. Like I just usually pick it up every week and, uh, occasionally I'll experiment and just pick up something like some dumb four pack for like 15 bucks. And I usually regret it because it's like, there's so many breweries making like beer now, like just everyone wants to like make things. They're making awesome beer. And it's like the amount of times I've been disappointed after spending like 45 bucks on beer, like total is just like, I kind of just stopped gambling and unless someone gives me something or it comes highly recommended, I won't even fuck with it anymore i can't do beer man it's like i feel like most of the beers i drink like you ever go to a fancy restaurant and they give you the like the fancy salad and it's mostly good and then there's that one leaf in there that just tastes like you ate sand or something arugula dude it's fucking arugula that's not hate that stuff Beer tastes like someone juiced arugula to me (laughs) it's like i'm eating like arugula extract (laughs) <laughs> yeah i guess i mean I, I guess if you don't like it you don't like it it's not like I, I it's hard for me to believe there's like a million different ways to do beer that it's weird to me to think that people don't find something they like like it's totally reasonable to hate light beer like seltzer has more flavor than light beer but i mean i, I mean i i drink it and it's fine but otherwise it's like i my brother-in-law is um He's a brewer, like a head brewer at a brewery in Worcester. And I usually like every once in a while, he'll like drop some beer off and like bring it by my house and leave it there. So like 
that's always a nice perk having um someone in the family who's a brewer because you end up drinking a lot of free beer that way but now i need someone in my life who's a distiller man that would change my life yeah that's where it goes i, I feel like if 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 I'm in a social situation where I'm supposed to order a beer, I usually like look at the bartender. It's like beer or coffee. I look at the person serving it and I'm like, if you were going to give this to a toddler, like which one would you pick? <laughs> that's the way, which one's the closest to milkshake? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing makes me angry. My wife gets so annoyed with me because I bring it up every single time. We've been married for over 10 years. So it's just like for her to still hear it, she's, I mean, I'm pretty lucky I'm still married, I guess. But uh, if I go out to a restaurant and I ask if they have a beer list and they're like, no, we don't. Like, what do you like? I'm like, what do you have? I want to know what's on tap. I don't know what I want. That's why I want to look at a list and I want to pick something that sticks out to me. So when you go, what do you what do you guys have? And they're like, um, I know we have a couple of IPAs on tap. Um, I don't, I don't remember what they're called. I can, I can, we have one called and then they just like throw one out there and they're like, do you want to try that? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what else you have. I'm like, do you want to go back inside and maybe come out with some options? And it's like, there are times where they don't even offer that. And I'm just like, I, okay, I guess I'll try that. And uh, last time I did that, they brought it out and I was like, this is I, I feel like such a dick, but it's like, this is honestly not even close to good. Like I won't even, I won't drink this and I'm not a snob. It was just like old and it came in a can that was like five months old. Like the date was on the bottom of it. I was like, why the fuck would you bring me out five month old? Nobody's complained about this. I'm, I'm not exactly. Cause you didn't know a specific one to order. Yeah. Dude, like, it was, you can have this. I feel like those restaurants like you're safe to assume that they only carry brands that might've put out a bikini calendar in 1982. <laughs> yeah. They're like, we got, um, Coors, Coors Light, Budweiser, Bud Light. Um, you know, and then they name like, oh, we got Sam Adams. We got, uh, our, the big one around here is if you're in new England, Wormtown is like, everyone has a, a beer from the brewery called Wormtown. Um, and I don't really think they're particularly good, but they're everywhere. Wachusett has been around since like the eighties and they have beer everywhere in new England. So it's always like the standards and you know, what kind of restaurant you're at when it's like, when like the when 85 to 90% of their beer list is like, Oh yeah. Like this is towny ass beer right here. As opposed to like people <laughs> who like good beer come here. It's like, I'll just order a cocktail at that point. Like, don't trick me. Like when, when I feel like sometimes I feel like I'm tricked. It's like, they want to convince me that something's going to be good. So it's like, Oh, here you go. This is awesome. I, I think you'll really like it. I'm like, you think I'll really like it. You think we've had enough time spent together where you can tell me that you think I'll really like something. <laughs> you a douchey have this IPA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is Sam Adams good? Cause I feel like that's like the, the beer of choice for the sophisticated Applebee's diner. <laughs> yeah, it is at Applebee's all the time. Uh, it's not like it's fine. I mean, they, they enter beer competitions with like small batch stuff and all across the country, but and internationally and they'll win stuff. Um, so I know they're like good, but when it comes to like, but that's like their small market when they're really working towards like beer changes a lot when you have to make it 
in a way that'll last on a shelf for six months and ship across the country, you know? Oh, I, I didn't think about that. Yeah. So like, you know, the, the whole big deal right now is like hazy IPAs. It started in New England and everybody wants to get in on it because it's just a fucking cash cow. So, you know, Sam Adams jumps in on that. They've rebranded their hazy beer a couple of times now, like hoping that maybe if they package it different or rename it, it'll help. It's just not really helping because, you know, it's what it is about like a New England IPA is like the hops that make it carry it. Like that's what carries all the flavor, but that's what has a low shelf life. Like their lager that can sit in a cold room for up to a year and it's going to be fine. Like you won't even notice really if it passes a year with like a lager, but the second you have a heavily hopped beer, it's going to be the shelf life just like shrinks significantly and there's not really a good way to preserve it. So not, this is like beer like podcast, a, but <laughs> it's like turning into like I have beer. a higher tolerance for like uh beer connoisseurs than wine connoisseurs. Yeah. <laughs> Cause if like every time I, I get somebody that's like really into wine Meaning, and not not that there's anything wrong with that, or or like, so everyone who likes wine is annoying. It's the person who needs to tell you that they like wine. Oh yeah, like they really need to impart their knowledge onto you about wine and talk about like this wine and that wine. There's this guy that I worked with that was like that. His name was John, and I hate. Hope he's him. not listening. Oh, I don't care if he is. <laughs> you suck, John. <laughs> Not current John, old John that I worked with in Michigan. There's a lot. John's a common name. Uh, but this guy, he was so like douchey about everything like that. And uh, I remember we we like went on this golf outing one day with some customers. And I don't, I don't hate golf, but I don't love golf. I mean, it's fine. I'll play it when everybody's playing it. But Still never John was one of those guys that just sucked the fun out of it, you know? <laughs> Because he was just like, like he had every little gadget for it. And he had like a story to tell you about your swing and blah, blah, Ugh. blah. You're just like, dude, I don't care. Like, stop telling me this. Like, I get up to the, uh, we're on the green. I, I, I like four put it, you know, I'm like playing hockey. I get it pretty <laughs> close to the hole and I just pick it up. And John's like, no, nope, happy Gilmore. No, nope, hey, <laughs> exactly. And he's like, no, 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 no. Hey, you got it. You got to hit it in the cup, man. It's a, it's a mental part of the game, dude. Your, your, your ears need to hear the sound of that ball hitting the bottom of the cup. Like it's, it gives you closure for the hole. And I'm just like, shut up. Oh my gosh. I was just like run over you with a golf cart. Like <laughs> it's the worst. Anyways, he liked wine. Yeah. I, he sounds like he would be a, uh one of those types i people who feel the need to explain to you why you should do something differently in a context where it doesn't matter i those people are so annoying yeah like just let me grip this thing like a softball bat and swing my back out and then go home and put ice on it like yeah. just, <laughs> just let me let me do my thing yeah i don't i i only recently started like really drinking wine in general i mean recently in the past like year and a half i guess and it's like i never cared about it and then you know i had a couple that i was like okay this is decent and then only recently have we really like like i said in the past year year and a half have we started like buying it outside of boxed wine i've bought a shitload of boxed wine in my life but a boxed uh, wine's good yeah it's fine i mean it is weird when you 
find your palate changing to the point where you're like, I used to drink box wine. I was like, I don't even know the difference. Like, don't spend any money on wine for me because I, I can drink box wine. Then you could be like, try this. And I'd be like, eh, they're like both, they're both good. Like, I wouldn't really know how to delineate between the two. And I certainly wouldn't pick up on notes and tannins or whatever the fuck you're supposed to pick up on. It's like, this is just pickled smuckers, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, but eventually, like, I started getting a taste for it. And now I, I'm like, there's a noticeable difference between boxed wine and like a decent wine, but like, I'm never going to stop. Like, I think what the difference is, is like when I know people who are like, oh, boxed wine. Oh, I can't even drink that stuff. I'm like, yeah, well, you think you're better than everybody also. So like, who cares? <laughs> I mean, I drink, I still drink light, like I drink light beer as much as I also like good. beer. It's like, I don't, I don't know. There's a time it's like a this. This is just a uh, an enjoyable beverage to me. It's not a part of my identity. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Look, I've already had twelve drinks. This isn't even about what it tastes like anymore, dude. Dude, I had some whiskey tonight. I'm feeling sassy. Ooh. <laughs> so how bad's the uh, the the COVID symptom? Or the, the the vaccine, I shouldn't call it the COVID symptom. Yeah, I mean, I get, there's sometimes they're COVID-like. Um, mine weren't too bad. I don't, I feel like, just like under the weather. Nothing like, like I worked. I didn't go to work. If I had to go to work, I probably would have called out. But I was, I work from home three, uh, three days a week. So, and I always work from home on, on Mondays, which is when we're recording this. So I, I just was like, I'll just deal with it. Uh, I had a, I only had one call today and, uh, there was just like, wow, you sound terrible. So I probably sound strange tonight. I feel like my voice definitely feels off. Um, but it's fine. Now I won't get COVID though. Well, I guess I technically still could, but maybe I won't die from it. So that's dope. Just try not to die from COVID. No blood clots or anything though. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't one of the 0.00008% of people who got a blood clot. No. Like who would have thought that Johnson and Johnson wouldn't put out a great vaccine? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, your baby powder gives people rashes. <laughs> why don't you be why don't we take injectables from you? <laughs> I mean, it's like the number of people it's so funny. Like I don't I mean, I don't know how FDA stuff works, but you know, you keep seeing the jokes about like the amount of shit that people die from. And it's like that we're like, yeah, I mean, there's just nothing we could do about it. And then you're just like COVID vaccine. It's like a couple of blood clots and some people. And you're like, okay, well, that in, incidentally is like the same percentage of people who just get blood clots or something like that. You're like, okay. just, I'll take my chances with polio. But yeah. not <laughs> these blood clots. Yeah. <laughs> I know we you should make polio put great a blanket again. over I'm the legs. Make polio great again. Let's bring it back. <laughs> yeah, COVID's like uh, we we need like an old timey disease to come back. You know, oh, yeah. like the uh, the consumption. <laughs> I don't even know what the consumption is. I, <laughs> I think that was tuberculosis. <laughs> you just occasionally like spit blood loogies. Oh God, that's disgusting. It doesn't seem so bad. Yeah, it's the black. I got, <coughs> I got the black lung pop. Dude, what's weird is like, you ever see pictures of those like tuberculosis wards? 
back in the day. No, I don't yeah, go looking for weird shit like that online. It was just like like a hospital in the middle of nowhere where they just put people with tuberculosis. You're like, you be over there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's essentially what they did with COVID patients. They're just like they treated they treated that like a lot of things with that back in the day. Like I don't know anything inconvenient, like yeah. mental illness. You know, you go over there. Not being uh, white, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> the 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 one of your six kids that you don't love yeah <laughs> <laughs> is it what i think bill burr had i might have been in his show in um uh what's it what was his netflix show a cartoon f is for oh, family f is for family uh when he just like freaks out about having is like trying to keep all of his kids alive and from getting sick he's like back when i was a kid it was like you know, everyone had like seven kids. So if one of them died, you had six others. Who cares? It's like, <laughs> well, it, is so funny. it is funny. Like how standards change so much over the years. It's like my, uh, a friend of mine was in town this past weekend and he's got a, a German shepherd puppy and just, I mean, just got it. It's a cute little puppy, but he eats stuff. Like he ate a whole leg of his fiance's leggings. He ate like a $500 pair of shoes and he ate a sock. And of all the things that didn't pass, it was the sock. So they had to spend like three grand to get the dog, like cut open, have the sock removed, you know, it's just that whole mess. I feel like, uh, you know, it's like whenever you're, uh, just the, the, bystander in those situations like you always think man i don't know if i could do that like that might just be it for that dog you know yeah but then anything happens to my dog and i'm just like i'll i'll, I'll put us back into college level debt <laughs> to, <laughs> to fix my dog's toenail which you know he's gonna live for like three more years <laughs> <laughs> we had to put my dog down uh, a good f- a few months back like six months back um oh, i remember that yeah so that was my first dog and um that was i mean she had cancer but it was like they, we're at the vet and our vet was good like i know some people go to the vets and like to go to the vet and they're like well we we can try this and that well let's do this and they're like before you know it they're like they quote you 10 grand to save your dog and mine they, they don't there's really like no pressure to do anything. Like they were like, first of all, this is like a super rare, like diagnosis for a dog. Like we don't have any guarantees that anything you do is going to help, but they had some options. They were like, we can try surgery. It's not likely it'll make much of a difference. We can do this type of medication or that, but you know, the other one we ended up just, I mean, she was 11 and she was supposed to live till she was 16. So, but cancer is weird. It's not like a, a leg that you need to spend a three grand getting amputated, right? Where it's like you do it and you know, like things will be fine. Um, so we just had too many questions and there was no guarantees. And we just did like a palliative care thing, but she it was, so it, my dog was a Westie and they're small dogs, right? And she, the type of cancer she had affected I mean, it affected a bunch of different things, but her blood sugar was one of them. So it would plummet and then she would start seizing and we'd have to like take Kerosyrup and like 
pour caro syrup like into her mouth until she stopped seizing. So we ended up having to like pour syrup on her every meal, just a little bit. But then she started getting like, you would notice some happening more often. So then you do a little bit more. And it's like the vet at that point was like, it's just do whatever you need to, to keep her alive for as long as you can. And then when you, when the time is right, you'll know and you just bring her in, we'll put her down. So we did this for like six months or maybe like, Oh, maybe a little more, but probably about six months where we just poured caro syrup on every single meal. She was like ravenous for it every day. And she turned in to just a round little sausage. She had these tiny stubby legs. <laughs> she was gigantic. And it was like sad, but super cute at the same time. Because she was just this little like roly poly thing on stubby legs. <laughs> I feel like a fat dog is sometimes a happy dog though. Yeah. It's like, yeah. yeah, you you just just do your thing, pal. Yeah, and that's what it got to. It was like it was like this is kind of like pe- people would come over like, wow, she uh she's she's bigger. They're like, yeah, I mean, she's dying, so you know, shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> do you think was it like was it pretty tough like along the way or or did you feel like you had the time to kind of adjust to it and prepare yourself yeah i felt like we had a ton, like time to get you know we just we knew that was like it was there was a couple of times where we were like is this it and we kind of stress ourselves out about it but overall it really was like okay you just know when it's time it was like you see the change she's like when you pour food in her dish, she's like decided to not eat it for like two days. She would like kind of go to it and then take a bite and leave. You're like, if she's not even into this, she's just not enjoying life anymore. She doesn't have much time. So, and if she's not eating, she's not going to maintain her blood sugar levels and she'll end up seizing anyway. So it was just like, it was time, but man, nothing sadder than putting your dog, like being there. I, I, I like cried like such a, like a baby. I was like crying so much. Like, can't even see your eyes are all red you're just like holding your dog while they just inject it and you just like oh so you're actually in the room yeah yeah we were in there for it like holding her it's like fucking tough i we like two years ago we lost two of our long-term pets like suddenly and under like bad conditions yeah like our cat got sick and uh you know, what What do you do? You take him to the vet. The vet says, we're going to give it's him some fluids. He's just, de- he's, he like says, he's just dehydrated and we're going to give him some fluids. And if he's not better in the morning, like if he looks like he's not getting better, then bring him back and we'll be fine. So like we do what the vet says. Now, this wasn't our vet. We couldn't get into our vet because he was out of town. So we took him to another vet in town. And uh, so we took him in. They did the thing, uh, came back. He looked rough, but they told us like, hey, you know, it's no big deal. Like he's going to be fine. Just let him sleep it off. And then so the next morning we get up and I'm like, dude, he's not he's not right. Like we got we got to get him to the vet immediately. So like we're trying to get ready and get the other animals like taken care of so we can take him and stuff. And like literally like while I'm holding him, he just god that's rough that's crazy man it was bad and then like maybe three months later my my dog died and like our cat was bad 
but I think the dog was like my dog Tucker just compounded it. It was like, I hadn't really gotten over the cat dying. And then my dog got hit by a car. Mm. We live out in the middle of nowhere. It's like a one in a million chance that you yeah. would be in the road when a car was going by. But he, he was, and I know he was just, you know, he was where he shouldn't have been in the middle of the night. And, you know, you just let him out to go to the bathroom like you did a million times before. But, uh, and then they take off that one time. Just like didn't come back. So I start getting worried. My other, my German shepherd comes back. Uh, so I go walking out there and there he is. And dude, that one, that one messed me up. I mean, yeah. I like every morning on the way to work, I would listen to, uh, there's a, there's a song by my favorite band. My favorite band's Vola. V-O-L-A. And they have a song called Alien Shivers. And I'd listen to that and cry on my way to work. <laughs> and like, I, I did that for like probably four months without fail. <laughs> and then it started to be like every, every couple of days I'd cry on the way to work. But <laughs> dude, it was tough. Uh, yeah. And, uh, People don't like people don't get it. Like nobody really no. understands like how you feel about your dog or cat. They only understand how they feel. And even if they've felt that before, like they don't really get how rough it is, you know? So people who haven't lost pets, like, cause I didn't get, I, I mean, like I said, I put down my first pet. I'm going to be 33. It's like put down my first pet this year. And it was like, I like I, at that point, that week I just kept thinking about all the times that people talk to me about putting their dog down or whatever. And you're like, Oh, that sucks. So did you catch the game last week? Like you just are so dismissive of it and you don't get it. If you don't have a pet and you haven't put one down, uh, even if you have a pet and you've never lost a pet yet, you don't get it. Cause I, I remember thinking like, Oh, it'll be tough when I lose my dog broke. And then it's just like so much. It's just hard. It's harder than you'd expect. It's like they're part of the family, but it's not like a kid and you know, you'll get over it. But like then the next few days, like week, month, or you're like, they're just not there anymore. You're just like, that fucking sucks even more when they're just, they're not, they're just, you kind of like get, you almost talk to them sometimes or you hear something and you like think it's them. It's so weird. It's a strange feeling when you go from like having a dog with you for that long and then it's just gone even now i call yeah. my new dog like sometimes he'll he'll start barking and i'm just like shut up rogue and i'm like oh rogue i miss you <laughs> <laughs> we we the our german shepherd Django, like he was god that was like a really bad part of it too is like he just obviously was not himself afterwards and and then oh, you yeah. know like you know, you used to just go to the store and not think about it. Like you just leave them home and it was no big deal. You know, they were sit there with each other or whatever, but now it's like, he's by himself. So you're like, uh, okay, well, do we take him to the store? Like, you don't want to leave him here. It's just a mess. Yeah. And like, uh, he's starting to get a little older and I know like German shepherds have hip problems and all sorts of stuff. And right now he's doing okay, but he's been, he got hit by a car when he was a puppy and they're rough and tumble, man. They're like country dogs. So yeah. <laughs> every time he like stutters when he gets up or something, I'm like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So the, the dog, um, the dog you you lost suddenly. You said you named him after. You said you named him after Tucker Carlson. Is that what you said? Yeah, and you know it was when Tucker was still like he was still new to the game. You know, <laughs> had no idea he'd be so successful and influential by this yeah. point. I mean, I'm really proud of him <laughs> for what he's accomplished. Yeah. Out I'm going to talk about like Tucker Carlson. If you have any sense of like, uh, like ah, Tucker Carlson's not so bad. If there's any sense of that in your brain, like look up Tucker Carlson talking about Warren Jeffs. Yeah. Who is like the Mormon cult leader that married like uh, tween age girls. Oof. And and you'll be like, oh, okay. I don't need Tucker Carlson around. Yeah. He was like, <laughs> well, he just acted like he's not so bad. We've all like, done something like what that. Are we, uh, you know, I mean, uh, they'll they'll be old enough eventually. Uh. <laughs> Thanks, Tucker. Oh, God. Uh, I want to never forget how much I hate him. So I shout out to that raccoon that donated his hairpiece. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, okay, that was a that was a wild uh, intro, but uh, yeah, I got. <laughs> Got sad there for a minute, man. Our guest this week is uh, Michael Sweet. Not to be confused with Michael Sweet from Striper. It's his son, Michael Sweet Jr. He gets mistaken for him often and usually by nut jobs. So don't be one of those. <laughs> yeah, he. But, um, uh, I, I. It was fun getting in touch with him because uh, some of the people that I've mentioned that uh, you know I got to know in high school who got me into the whole metal world. Um, a couple of them are, were friends with him. And they were, I just kind of like, they messaged me one day and like, uh, one of them shared the podcast on their Facebook when we were starting it. And they were like, tagged Michael in it. And like, Michael Sweet, this sounds like something you should do. And I kind of just been like on and off in touch with them since, trying to like figure out a time to make this work. And uh, it just kind of following him on social media as we get into a little bit in the interview is was a total blast and was like, okay, we definitely, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in this kid's life. That's very interesting as he grew up in the home of, um, of someone who is part of, he grew up as a son of someone who was part of such a wildly successful Christian and mainstream eighties hair metal band like it was yeah if if you're not familiar with uh we should probably explain who i know who right sweet is but like he was like knows. lead singer and founding member of, of a band called striper which was like the first christian rock band to gain any sort of like notoriety especially in mainstream culture and they did like they had one platinum album and two albums that went gold which yeah that's a big deal back in the World day that's tours. before the internet you know, um, they had yellow tiger stripe jumpsuits that they wore. So yeah, very showmany as all like in the eighties hair metal bands were. They like fit right in, and they did it in a way that like, I mean, it was Christian enough, but they were able to like sneak their way in. And I think a lot of it was their aesthetic worked. Uh, it, it was attractive to people at that time we look at it now and you, it's easy to look back on that time and be dismissive of, of that whole scene. Like everyone just doing the makeup and the crazy hair. It's like, uh, 
it does nothing for me. I don't think it does much for anyone in our generation, you know, but like, I think it was before a, rock stars had a healthy sense of self-loathing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But grunge made up for that. Yeah. So hair it, metal was like a bottle rocket. Like it, it went off hard and fast and then just popped. And that was it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So Michael was like, he, you know, he, he wasn't his, his father's heyday in the band wasn't, you know, throughout his entire life, he kind of, um, but they have their resurgence. And so we get into some fun stuff about just how it came back to be and how, uh, what it did to him and how it influenced his life. And so I think it was a fun conversation, great interview. Um, he's also a musician, so we're going to be posting links to what he's got going on, what he's been working on. And he's got, his music's great. Um, I was just listening to it today. He sent it over and, uh, everyone should definitely go check it out. Give him a follow. If you want to just, I'll, we'll post the links to his personal Facebook and IG too. He gave those to me, uh, gave permission to post those. If you want to follow him or Adam as a friend on Facebook, just for the reason, uh, of seeing people interact with him, thinking that he's his father. It's worth it. It's hilarious. <laughs> we get into that too. And it's, it's been one of my favorite things that I've got to just read on from the sidelines, just like scrolling through. You're like, well, let me just oh, spend 15 minutes scrolling through this, checking people's Facebooks. Who are these people commenting? They all think he's his dad. They're lecturing him about how he's lost his witness. Really fun, cool things that, you know, social media voyeurism. Yeah, it's great. So anyway, uh, it's a great interview. Uh, enjoy the conversation that we got uh, coming up. Hey, everybody, we're back with our guest, Michael Sweet. Uh, Michael, Hello. thanks so much for hanging out with us tonight. Um, how you doing, man? Uh, doing great. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So cool thing about uh, Michael or notable thing is, um, you know, he grew up with a somewhat famous father, depending on which world you live in. Um, so his dad was uh, the lead singer for Striper. Um, so he has a kind of an interesting story just growing up with uh, an interesting situation. So, uh, Michael, I'm really curious to kind of get into your general upbringing, uh, what your you know childhood was like, school, church, all that kind of stuff. Because obviously, uh, you know, your dad was pretty well known in the Christian world for a particular a particular type of Christianity at that. Um, your classic evangelicalism so yeah 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 so why don't you uh i don't know start as far back as you want but just kind of give us a a snapshot of what your uh upbringing was like yeah um so i was born in 1987 so 34 years old uh born in california um at that time, that was uh, like Stripers, the height of their career. It was, I think it was like right at the peak of everything. Um, it's kind of when I entered the picture. Um, <clears throat> and so we, we did our thing. We lived out in California um, for, I was there for seven years. Uh, and then we relocated out to uh, the East Coast and we moved to Massachusetts, Um uh, drove cross country and, uh, whole family, my sister as well. Um, and, 
uh, we've been basically here ever since. Uh, my dad also lives here in Mass. Uh, I actually currently reside in Rhode Island, uh, Providence, <clears throat> but grew up grew up in Mass. So I still consider myself a Mass what? resident, even though. Yeah. What? Why? Why Matt? What made you guys move from California to Massachusetts? Um, well, uh, without going into too much detail, because <clears throat> I'm not sure what's out there as far as information or not, um, but, <laughs> okay. um, financial reasons, basically what is known at least is that, you know, the band come, come the early nineties, um, you know, that's, that's when, uh, grunge, the whole grunge movement started and kind of, that was kind of the, the end of the hair metal thing. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not that that was the result to them, uh, to their demise, but it definitely had a huge part of it. And, um, so due to, uh, that and some overspending, uh, and, and some mishaps with the budgeting and whatnot, uh, the band ended up going bankrupt. Um, oh, wow. And they were you just balled out too hard on yellow jumpsuits, dude, dude, it, <laughs> you're joking, but it's true. <laughs> And that's the least of it. The jumpsuits is nothing. It's we're talking helicopters. Hell, what? Oh yes, <laughs> and and like guns, like machine guns that just go shoot off in the desert for no reason. <laughs> well, now, uh, tell now me you, you have, have a yellow tiger side. stripe machine gun still. No, we don't have the guns are gone. <laughs> oh, yeah, the guns are gone. So you man, helicopters. I didn't realize that that <laughs> yeah. got that wild. Uh, so. You, I was looking at like their. I mean, I I wasn't really a, a striper fan myself, mostly because I wasn't the right. Well, I don't know if that's why I might have not cared it was anyway. Before our it time, was before it our is. Time. Yeah, it is. So it I was I, I was born eighty eight. So we're like kind of the same age here. So we're operating uh, on some similar wavelengths generationally. And so you, it, looking at the dates, though, it seems like their activity. It, what they they stopped really doing stuff when you were like seven, eight, something like that. Yeah, right. That when I was, yeah, okay. like uh, six, six or seven years old. Yep. Okay. Uh, and that's so, kind and of that's when, they... when you guys ended up moving to Massachusetts. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. Now, I guess I know there was other Christian like hard rock and metal bands before that, but not many, right? I mean, Striper was probably like the pinnacle of success yeah. up until more close to our time. Yeah, there was a band, uh, Petra. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, My dad had some Petra tapes. Yeah, Petra and I think like White Lion. Um, those were like two metal, Christian metal acts um, kind of doing it alongside with Striper. But Striper was the one that kind of really, yeah. And they broke mainstream. Like it wasn't, they, they, did. they, they did. Right. managed yeah. to move into the mainstream world, which I still think is kind of weird because did they move away from like that super Christian lyrics or did people just ignore it because they like the sound? No, uh, the way that the lyrics are written, actually, it was on purpose. That's uh, what I've heard. And it's uh, do it's because you, the lyrics are written about God. However, you can also interpret it as like a, love you know male female like a, a relationship type of thing so yeah. it's sort of like and if you listen to a lot of their the hits the singles and stuff like that it's they're not necessarily coming right out and singing about god even though they they are but um it's interpreted as like the mainstream audience it's just a it's just a love song or you know yeah who did they who did they tour with like uh everyone everyone 
Um, <laughs> uh, I'm I'm trying to. Unfortunately, I wasn't there for most of that. But um, well, right. Yeah, uh, I heard Sebastian Bach talking some uh, yeah, guff about your dad. <laughs> yeah, there's that's been some uh, continuous beef that's been going on for a while. It's just uh, nothing crazy. It's nothing serious. They just you know little uh, tension there between the two of them. <laughs> he seems like a douche from the interview. He is a hundred percent a douche. He's the biggest. Yeah. I think the biggest douche in the in the scene there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he yeah. definitely has that Maybe. super douche. I mean, he was wearing sunglasses inside, so I was immediately like turned <laughs> off. Uh, <laughs> like I'm trying to buy a helicopter, and you bought the the last one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Did, so you, what kind of like? In, uh, so I, I mean, obviously it was a Christian environment you grew up in. Like, so he kind of stuck to the, the whole music thing never like sucked your family out of the, the, the Christian atmosphere. There was, that stayed no. like a pretty solid backbone for them. Absolutely. Yep. yep. And that, did you, what kind of, did you go to public school or no. well, Christian yeah. school? No, not Christian school. I went to public school um, uh, through elementary school, through um, <clears throat> like th- third grade, I think, was my last year in public school. And then um, actually uh, my best friends at the time, uh, their parents decided to homeschool them. It was kind of like a weird random thing. We didn't really know anything about it, but I liked the idea of it. it sounded really cool. And uh, so, you know, we I asked if we could do it too. And it, we kind of just took off with it and stuck with it. And both my sister and I uh, did our entire uh, schooling at home. That's funny that you asked for it. I had to, I was, forced I did. I into asked it, for it. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't. I mean, I was kind of uh, at the time it was, I was, I mean, I was young. So but it just sounded cool to be, you know, to do school at home. And my, my best friends were also going to be at home so we could do school together some days and it sounded cool. Yeah. When I first started doing it, it was like I would meet people and the biggest reaction. To, I mean, most people actually thought it was really cool. Uh, I, they didn't really know necessarily the reasons for why my family chose to do it or anything like that. But the, the initial reaction to any everyone was always like, what? Do you get to just get up when you want and do school in your pajamas? And you're like, that's yeah. literally what everybody yeah. asks if you're a homeschooled yep. kid. Yep. yep. Yeah. They, little did they know that you were like the, the male iteration of the movie Carrie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, when did you start playing music? Cause you're a musician as well, right? I am. Yeah. Um, I actually kind of bloomed a little later on with that stuff. And it's funny because I always denied wanting to ever do music. I was always asked growing up constantly, like, you know, you're going to be a musician like your dad, you're going to do music like your dad. And, I don't know if it was because my dad did it and I didn't want to do it because of that. But I was always like, no, no, I don't want anything to do with music. Don't want anything to do with music. But um, uh, couldn't really help it because it, no matter what, it was, ended up being what I was going to be into <laughs> and most passionate about. So, um, so yeah, uh, I started started getting really into it um, probably about 16 or 17 years. So, okay. later on. yeah, like, like, yeah, I mean, like I, I watched live performance and, and stuff. Okay. I I watched an interview with you earlier today on YouTube and you had some hair, man. Oh god. You had that like like 2009 like That's what it was. Bring me the horizon hair. Yep, it was 2000. That I wished I I had so bad at the time. 
he, he would get his hair chemically straightened into an emo swoop. So he was really jealous of people like you. Oh yeah. man, yeah. I didn't even. I didn't do anything. I didn't even straighten it. It just, it just went. <laughs> just a lot of this, you know, a lot of this. Just like scene kid perfection at the time. Yeah, you yeah. have to pull it from the side all the way. Across. Yeah, I yeah. did. I had that was a strong, strong, long lasting phase in my life. That was a that was a look, man. That was the look, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dude, go ahead, Casey. So, was your uh, so your dad stayed in the music industry even after the band stopped touring and stuff like that? Yeah. So he continued a solo career after Striper. Um, he was kind Ooh. of. Uh, I mean, I guess he wasn't the only one to do it. The other guys kind of did their own thing. I know that uh, the guitar player and bass player went off and started uh, uh, kind of a, their own band. Um, but uh, my dad was able to you know, keep the momentum and the fans, the Striper fans going and uh, kind of had a solo career that took off and, and did pretty well. And wow. he's still he's Very still cool. doing he's still doing it to this day. He writes Striper albums and solo albums back to back. Wow. Yeah. I saw that like what stripers came back again in like the mid two thousands or something like that. Early they did. Two- yeah. 2005, I believe yeah, they, did that take off for them coming, like doing the reunion thing. It did. Um, I know that, uh, they did, they kind of what started the idea was, um, some fans organized, um, this little, like what they called it, the striper expo. And they rented out some ballrooms at like a Marriott and um, some fans flew in from from all over and had like a little striper expo um, with like vendor <laughs> vendor tables and like people showing off their like signed albums and stuff like that. And uh, they had the guys come out for it. They invited the guys. And I know that like the end of it, they kind of impromptly played a show or a, a little little gig at the end. Uh, and that's kind of what sparked I think the the start of their reunion. That's great. Those are some dedicated fans, man. Yeah. How cool would that be to be on the receiving end of that? Uh, on what? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, I maybe cool depending on you know the fan. The fans get a yeah. little wild, and we can we can go into that a little. Later. Yeah, I definitely <laughs> want to get into that. Yeah, this yeah. seems to get somewhat out of hand sometimes. From my no, experience. for sure, it's, for sure. We um for the listeners um. Michael and I share some mutual friends uh, and I, uh, so we've been friends on Facebook and a a lot of people on Facebook thinks that he's his dad and say a lot of weird stuff. So we're, we'll save that for a little bit later, but it's provided (laughs) me some of like the greatest, like 20, 30 minutes of like entertainment when I'm like at work and I'm like, kind of just wanting to take a little break scroll through my phone and i see like 150 comments on something that michael posted and yep. it gets pretty fantastic it does. Uh, but before we get there i want to kind of like hone in on how you internalized uh the christian faith as like a kid like did, did you do like i mean being I mean, you obviously probably were involved in a church or your family was um yeah did you do like youth group does it the message like resonate with you at all or is it kind of just yeah um i think it was the best way to explain it is sort of like uh levels or degrees or like waves where i would kind of go 
fall into it, fall out of it, fall into it, fall out of it. Kind of like an internal battle of myself and the religion as a whole. And of course you're surrounded by it and your, your family is, you know, it's, it's 24 seven. So there are times where you kind of start to drift away from it and then you start second guessing everything. And it's like, Oh, you know, I'm sure you kind of maybe know a little bit about that. Maybe you kind of struggled with that a little bit. Maybe everyone who's done what we did has. Um, it's like the guilt reaches a fever pitch. And so you have to go back to church. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but growing up, um, the thing, the thing that I want to stress is that it was never like forced on me. So like Christianity and, uh, you know, church, all that stuff, it was never like forced or like militant, um, in any way ever with me growing up, that wasn't necessarily what turned me off to it. Um, we did go to church every Sunday. We, we out in California, we were part of the, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Calvary chapels. Oh yeah. So we were, we went to Calvary chapel church, um, our very actually stripers, um, stripers, Pat old pastor at the time was also pastor of a Calvary chapel church. So we were like very good friends, uh, very active in that, um, group as time progressed, um, we kind of like tried out different churches, tried out different kind of, I guess, vibes, um, going from like a Calvary chapel type of place to, um, a little, you know, old historic, you know, white steeple church on Cape, um, to home churches. We did the home church thing for like a long time too. Yeah, um, I did those bunch too. Bunch of weirdos. Yeah. Dude, those are the those. weirdest. That's when it gets real culty. That's when you're like, you know, that's when. <laughs> it, so, yeah, it can. Mine, luckily, what, like, my home church experience was like, uh, I mean, they're people that, they're still my parents' friends. Um, I'm friends with, I, I mean, friendly ish. I guess I still know some of them, but uh, one family in particular is still a close, like, family friend. And it's like, ours wasn't weird it was just it kind of was like that bible study vibe um, yeah yeah it never got too serious it never really grew and then everyone ended up all going to the same church when we got sick of like doing the home church thing <laughs> yeah yeah dude i was curious like i you know my little environment was so small but it wasn't like that you know where like you know sam did homeschool and home church and stuff like that i always wondered like if you're in that kind of a group and there's like one girl that's your age is like that. Is there always some like implication that like you guys are going to hook up or something like not hook up, obviously, yeah, but take it easy get together. <laughs> you're going to court in the presence of your family. <laughs> no, nobody. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know who the question was for. You were pretty yeah. ambiguous about that. Yeah, yeah. I posed it to the the home church weirdos. No, I don't know. Not no. really. You no, were yeah. you were just friends. Everyone was just friends. Uh, it's true. Everyone was friends. You'd all hang out after church. You'd all go outside and we'd skateboard and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah. I feel like all like all the guys in our group wanted to uh, to have a girlfriend, but all the girls were very uninterested in us. <laughs> <laughs> shocker <laughs> yeah, for real yeah i don't know you now, guys weren't super desirable with your uh i don't know 
your pleated khakis and tucked in polos? I mean, by <laughs> by my standards, yes. I guess not by theirs. <laughs> so, I mean, like, I so, bi- <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like kind of what you're saying. Like your your parents weren't like real forceful. No, they weren't. They with, weren't. No, they weren't like force. Because I know some families. I grew up with some kids where it was like very. Very forceful, very militant. Like um, it wasn't like that with 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 me growing up. Um, however, I was expected. You know, I was expected to go to church every Sunday, um, and I was expected to do do some of the <clears throat> the get-togethers we do. I didn't really ever do youth group that much, honestly, and um, I don't really remember the reason why. But I, I wasn't forced to go. I wasn't told I had to go. I just didn't want to go. Um, hmm. I just didn't, I just did, I think I just never clicked and I never connected with those people. And, and, uh, maybe, maybe it was just the, the churches we were going to and the people we were with, but I just, I don't know. I just didn't fit in. I didn't fit in. I don't know. Well, when you're not meshing with the few people that are there, it's, it's the worst. I mean, yeah, it's torture. I think for me, it was the cheesy, um, youth pastors, like, you know, trying to be all hip and cool, you know, and like hip with the music stuff. And it's just ends up being a little corny. Um, yeah. So you saw, you actually were one of the few who would like see through the tryhardiness of it. <laughs> I saw through, yeah, very, unfortunately at a very young age, I, I kind of started to like see through a lot of it. And um, just cause I would, just cause I kind of saw all sides of it um, from like the church side to like, um, crazy religious fans, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. was a fan. So even after, like, I, I know for like the majority of your childhood, Striper wasn't active. You're, like you said, your dad had a solo music career. That kind of that seems to be what paid the bills for you guys. But I mean, where the fit? So what was your connection to that? Like with seeing the fans and your, what was your experience with your dad as a musician? Like in that way, was it, did it feel like a big part of your life or is that just mm. like, that's my dad's job. My dad goes to work and does his thing. And it, it was, was there like kind of a disconnect from it? No. Um, so, so like during the downtime when Striper wasn't a thing, you're 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 right. What you said. I mean, for the most part, Striper wasn't really a big part of most of our majority of my life. Uh, it's more so the last you know uh, 15, 10, 15 years where it's they've been most active and it's been most prominent in my life. But um, <clears throat> in like elementary age, uh, I was thir- you know 12, 13, 14 years old. He was doing his solo stuff. Um, and he was still doing it somewhat actively. So he would do shows every once in a while and he was doing a lot of like music videos. So we would go with him. We'd, we'd fly out and travel with him to like his shoots, his video shoots. And we, um, any like random one-off shows he was doing, we would travel with him because we were homeschooled. So we had the ability to do that. And that was kind of also a big reason like why I would tell everyone while I was homeschooled because even though I wanted to and it was my idea, the more and more I did it, the more I realized I was the outcast. And um, <laughs> it's like, it's like, oh, well, I have to be homeschooled because my dad is a musician. So we're constantly traveling. <laughs> I'm not a weirdo, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> I, the were the trips, 
uh, that I remember having to do to try to convince people when you met them that you weren't Weird. strange. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would do the same thing. It's fun. Yeah. Were the trips like fun or was it just kind of? Yeah. No, it was fun. It was. It was never. I uh, never hated it. It was a fun. You know, we kind of sometimes treat it like a little family vacation in a way. Um, and uh, we were also like super poor that whole time growing up. Uh, it was like very, very tough times because the band had gone bankrupt and we literally had nothing. Um, so we actually moved when we did do the move from California to Mass. We ended up moving and living with my grandmother, my mom's mom. And we lived with her in her house for, for a long time, for years and ended up eventually buying it from her. And, and, and so we stayed there and she also stayed in the house with us, but, um, we were just dirt poor. So like anything like that, any sort of him going out and doing a video shoot is, it, it was just kind of a kind of capitalized on that as a, like, you know, this is our vacation. This is also going to be our vacation. Yeah. Dude, um, that is an interesting juxtaposition with it's like to, to be in that type of a financial predicament, like where you are, where you're struggling financially like that, but then to like for your dad's work to be to for you could all just like fly somewhere and do a video. Like that's like the kind of stuff that you wouldn't maybe, maybe there was like a feeling for him too. I I can't even imagine, but where you feel like you have to maybe keep up an appearance of like things are still going well. Did you feel like you ever had to keep up like that appearance for your family or anything like that? I think I feel it more so now than, than, uh, than like, I, I don't think I ever really felt that as a, as a child. Uh, I do know though, for a fact, I think my, it's something my dad feels. I think he does feel like he has to kind of keep up the rock star persona and appearance 24 seven. Cause it, it did get to a point, even though the band striper wasn't a thing and we're out living on Cape. My dad's like a park ranger at a campground and, I'm like working in a cranberry bog. Um, and, and like, you know, it, it, you do get to the point where you go to stop and shop and someone comes up to him and, and recognizes him. And um, that started to happen more and more. And as you know, Striper started to kind of get back into the spotlight. Uh, people, you know, people started recognizing him more and more and asking for autographs, things like that out just while we're out to eat doing things like that. So more and more, you did kind of feel pressure to maintain the sort of uh, image. So, so some people got weird. Oh man, <laughs> so quite a few people um, have gotten very, very weird to the point where it's it's probably molded my uh, mental health in a negative way. <laughs> Um, How many times did people ask your dad to sign their tits? Oh, that I've never seen. <laughs> that's that I've that's never good. seen. No, people have ever meet him. Now I know what I'm going to ask. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, you didn't get much of that just because with the Christian crowd. Every once in a while, yeah. you get you get the, the the guys who are just metalheads who just like the metal. They don't give a they don't care about the message, and you know they got their girlfriends with them, and they're you know pulling out their tits and stuff, <laughs> but you know, that's, that's about it. So was there like, is it just fans being way too familiar or were some of them scary? Like thinking yeah. that the music is talking to them or something? Or? Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's all, it's all, it's all of the above. Um, I, I, where to start really. Um, 
it, it's some of it's harmless and and I, I view it as just like annoying and some of it is actually scary and uh, life-threatening uh, many times wow. many times we've been put in a situation where I felt like I might die um, we've had we've had fans come and like drive across the country to my house and uh, there was this one guy actually who <clears throat> went by that he went by the name Johnny Lightning. Oh, and he was like known Brad. on like message boards and like he was a known fan and like people kind of thought he was kind of off. But uh, there, there's a local music shop in our in the town we lived in, in Bourne. Um, my dad was like a you know good good customer. He'd frequent the shop often, and uh, <clears throat> one day this guy. Uh, the owner is like, Hey, so uh, there's this guy in here the other day asking about you. He's like, his name's Johnny lightning. And my dad's like, Oh, like what? Like he kind of recognized the name. He's like, what the, you know, that's weird. Um, so come to find out the dude drove here. I don't even know where from, but, but like drove here, got a job as a dishwasher at a restaurant, lived in his car, and was parking his car outside of our house every day and watching. And we had to get, the, we had to get the police involved and they had to escort him out of town. Um, another instance like that, that has happened is uh, there was a, this is actually somewhat recent. It's happened in the last 15 years. Um, this uh, woman from Florida um, drove, her truck from Florida to our front door. And at the time, no one was home. It was just my sister who was home. She feel terrible. Um, and uh, yeah, knocked on the door and said that she had a dream. And in her dream, God told her that um, she was going to marry Michael, marry my dad. And basically was asking, you know, where is he? I need to see him. And she <laughs> closed the door, called my dad. And turned into this huge thing and she would actually show up at shows like random shows. And like, and, and when she was there, it was like security is on, on edge the whole night. And they're like, got eyes on her the whole night because this lady is just like completely fucking unstable. And wow. like, it's just, and it's like a lot of that. It, it's like, it's funny. I can laugh at a lot of it. A lot of these people like Sam, like you saw on Facebook, like, you know, like, a lot of it's harmless and you just can laugh at it, but some of it's downright fucking terrifying. Yeah. Like the, nice. it's like what they get to like that, like it's obsessive and it, that's when you have to be like concerned. Like when people get that obsessive about anything, it's concerning, but especially like the, what well, a fandom an obsessive compulsive fandom is like, yeah like kidnappy type scary like what's gonna happen if i get alone with these people or they find me in an alley somewhere it's kind of strange yep we had uh in canada actually the tour i did my old band called flight patterns i believe it's, it's the uh the interview you watched i believe from 2009 um we did a tour with striper uh, a lot of good stories uh, from that tour as well but one thing that happened in canada was like some fan some crazy fan just like barged his way onto the bus and like forced his way onto the bus and was like i have to speak to michael i have to see michael i have to speak to michael and there one of their like security dudes like booted him gave him the boot with his foot like off the bus and it's just super common it's just a very common thing it's just uh some of these fans just 
it's it's they're not all there man i don't think that they should you know it yeah yeah my yeah my wife and several of her friends are like you know internet personalities right big social media presence and stuff and uh, a couple of her friends have had to deal with like dangerous stalkers yeah one of them just finished a court case over it i mean this guy's just off his rocker we've had to like change her phone number and stuff like that because of just weird things like you start like who's you know somebody's just calling and not saying anything or they'll ask for her and it's just weird the weirdest one that happened to us was like we went to this uh she does like cosplay and stuff so we went to star wars celebration in chicago it's just a big giant star wars convention it's huge it's like a four or five day event you know mm-hmm. and uh she and I were like walking across the main hall and there's, you know, there's thousands of people there. And this guy comes up and he's like, Hey, uh, April. And you know, it's, you're at that event. There's a lot of people there that follow cosplayers. So that wasn't really a big deal that someone would recognize her. But then he pulls out a stack of photos of her and asks her to autograph. Them. Wow. Yeah. And I'm just like, <laughs> Like I, I, this is so weird. Like I don't know what what are we doing? <laughs> Every photo she's ever put up on the internet is just in a binder. <laughs> He's got one of those like eighteen hundreds Bibles of, of pics, you know, like forty yeah. pounds. <laughs> Man, that is some of the, that's crazy. I to have to deal with that type of obsession is such a strange thing. It's also kind of crazy that you were able to just like as someone who who's a musician to be able to like la- not that you're probably had a lot of overlapping fan base, but to be able to like just jump on a tour with Striper is kind of a neat thing to be able to do. At least you have like the experience of getting the, that kind of a tour. And I think that's pretty sweet. Yeah, no, it was a cool, it was a very cool thing. We're very thankful. I'm very thankful for, you know, them asking us to come out and do that. It was very, very nice of them to do. They didn't have to do that. And I know that it probably wasn't the best choice as far as, you know, music wise, you know, we were like a pop punk band. And oh, yeah. so, but we learned a lot that tour and definitely dipped our toes in the water. And now, you know, a lot of us are still doing music, still playing out. So it was a good thing. Now, so you, I mean, you mentioned being kind of up and down, back and forth with Faith as a kid um, through high school. When, when did you kind of did did you have like a big like declaration to your family of like this just isn't for me or did you just kind of like fizzle out and your parents kind of got the got the memo without really having to have a big conversation about it was that a tough thing what's that what was that experience no um it's it's weird because i'm still waiting to have a conversation <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah you and me both yeah <laughs> And I would like to have that conversation. I would love to have that conversation. I'm not going to be the one to approach um, them about it, but um, it's just sort of a don't ask, don't tell type of situation. And and like, you know, um, it started, I mean, I didn't have like a, you know, a wake up moment where it was like, oh, you know, I'm stepping away. This is my last day. Yeah, but um, it was just sort of over time, more and more questions, um, like things happening in in 
you know, my own life personally, um, that you kind of try to figure out yourself, you need answers for. And, um, as time goes on, you, you know, you just fall out of things like that. And you, you, you start to just figure things out for yourself. And that was a big thing for me. It was like, not just following in the footsteps of my family, my parents, because you just go to church. That's what you do. You go to church on Sundays. And that's kind of what it turned into for me as a kid was, it was just like monotone, just routines. It wasn't about, uh, a relationship with God or, uh, you know, Christianity. It was just, oh, we go to church on Sunday. And I'd go to church on Sunday and I'd sit there and goof off the whole time and not pay attention to anything. And, uh, and kind of as that went on over the years, I started to like skip church and, you know, everyone be getting ready to go and I'd stay, you know, I'd tell them I'm staying home and, uh, no questions really asked. Um, wow. As time. Yeah. And then as time progressed, it was like, oh, hey, well, we're going to go just, so you know, we're going to church tomorrow at 11. If you want to, if you want to come, you know, and it's like, yeah. Um, and that's kind of still the mentality to this day. Uh, I, I, I've never been talked about, you know, I've never had the conversation with my dad. Um, my mom, my mom passed uh, 11, 12 years ago, I think 12 years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. so it's really, it's just my dad. I have a, uh, he, he did remarry. I have a stepmother. She's great. Lisa, she's awesome. But, uh, as far as like something like that, a conversation like that, it's something to be had with, with him. And I has yet to be, has yet to happen. No, like you said, you were kind of like up and down, you're kind of drift out and then get like jump back in. Like, yeah. Where did that pressure come from? You think to turn back to it? Was it community pressure? Was it just internal um, no, I think that it's you know, internal. Mostly it was internal stuff and also trying to just figure out, figure out life, figure out what it is to be human, you know, because I just feel like grew, I spent half my life inside of a box and, um, it's a lot to learn, you know, once you step outside of it. Yeah. Like it, it's like when you first realize that not everything in life fits into little boxes. Cause like as a kid, I, so I stuck with, I still am. I, I, I don't even often know what to say uh, because I feel like confused by the language. Like it doesn't, it's not always helpful, but um, I, depending on who you ask, I'm still Christian, I guess, but it's, but when you first start like realizing that the things don't fit into the boxes that you were given uh, and that the answers start feeling disingenuous, like that they're just trying to cram things in. So that way we don't have to be confused and we can just accept what everyone's telling us is true. It's like, there is that, like the turn back to it mentality seem is like, seems common enough just because it's like, we were told so many things and we were told the implications of, you know, not believing and the stakes are really high. And when, for me, that's what it was. It was just like, every time I would question something, it was like, should I even be doing this? Because if I get this wrong, I could go to hell. Like you don't want to like do you. So you're just like, I guess, I don't know. Maybe I'll go back to it. Yeah. That's exactly, that's exactly it. That's what kind of what I meant by the ins and outs. Yeah. It's like, it's like you almost develop like a, uh, an impulse, you know, because that's such a, I don't care who you are and how great things were, you know, you, whether you were captain of the football team and all, you know, all of that, like, I feel like that's such an un- uncertain time 
in everyone's life. And teenagers, you know, you, you have such strong emotions and there's times where you just feel like completely adrift, whether you're, you know, religious or not. And I think like we kind of, we're continually sold the idea that like, if you feel like unmoored, it's because you're not leaning on God. You know, you're there's like the fact that you're unhappy or that you're depressed or that, you know, you feel like you don't have purpose. That's evidence that you're not leaning on God the way you should. So it's like you develop this instinct to just, you know, push yourself back into it. Mm-hmm. You know, every time things start to get bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yep. I think that resonates. I, I knew people all through college where it's just like in and out of relationships. Cause they're just like, ah, I don't know. Like, I think I'm focusing too much on my relationship and not enough on God. And then they just like terminate a, probably a pretty decent Oof. potential relationship because they didn't know they couldn't like juggle their maybe probably honestly their feelings of guilt of like going too far. I don't know. Like maybe I, it's like, I'm not entirely sure, but touched a boob yeah oh. <laughs> there's no turning back that's think, where every makeout session goes from then on like you can't untouch a boob <laughs> i imagine your dad has some idea that like i, I mean even just yeah he has an seeing, idea yeah just seeing the way that yeah. you exist on social media it's like mm-hmm. it's i my assumption is that he's just like I, I know where this, I, he gets it and having the conversation about it feels like it just it almost isn't worth it, even yeah. though that's awkward and you would like to have it. Like I, yeah, I think, I don't know. Uh, that's <laughs> the thick. There's not a lot to be uh, surprised about where you've probably ended up based no. on what he's sees, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, With that, some of like, so some of the, it was shortly after I like we were friends on Facebook and I I don't know what you posted. It wasn't anything wild, but I didn't it took me a second to realize what was going on because the people who were commenting were feeling really betrayed like by yeah. whatever was said and I was like what yeah. is going on? Like who are these people? Maybe they were like friends, like parents or parents friends. Um I'm looking at their profiles and I'm like, Oh, I see what's going on here. I don't know. Based on like their, their skullets and things like that. You're like, they're, these people are, these people think you're Michael sweet, not you. Yeah. And dude. they're like <laughs> putting you on. I mean, they're, Oh yeah, dude. It's like a sermon. They, they'll type out full blown sermons about how you're like betraying God and you're destroying your witness. And it gets so out of control. <laughs> And your yep. responses to them are so dismissive. It you should really just pop. You should start a blog where you just publish those interactions because they're priceless. Oh man, maybe I should. Yeah. <laughs> Unlike <Yeah>. Mike. <laughs> yeah. So is that a common thing? Oh, it's very common. It's like every it, I I don't want to say every post that I, I make, but like it's always someone, man. There's always someone commenting on it and not realizing. I think what happens often is like, they'll just see the name, you know, they'll see a post. They'll just see the name. They don't look at the little circle, the little profile picture. And they just assume that it's the, the Michael suite that they know, you know, the, another issue too is actually that I'm figuring out a lot of these people, 
don't even know that I exist. Like don't, they don't know that he has a son. So like, you know, I'm getting emails saying I'm an imposter and how, you know, I'm, I'm pretending to be Michael sweet. And, um, and you know, it's, it's hard to convince someone like, no, I'm just his son. And they're like, he doesn't have a son. <laughs> well, <laughs> all right. <laughs> I love that. Much. The, uh, the, 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 you're an imposter. Let's like, yeah. Oh dude. Yeah. First of all, like on Facebook, there's probably more than two Michael sweets. So oh, there's I don't know so many, there's so <laughs> many Michael sweets out there. It's a con- pretty common name. It's not, you should start a support group. Maybe, maybe is this happening to you? Yeah. <laughs> right. I wonder how many. Other if your name is Michael Sweet, you may be entitled to a cash settlement. <laughs> yes. 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 Have you been harassed? <laughs> yeah. Dude, it's like to write that message or email or comment or whatever, like you almost have to be a little unhinged. Yeah. Or just completely lost in your boomerdom. Yep. Both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Both. <laughs> But the, the pile on gets pretty funny too. Like my, my favorite part is when like after like 50 comments deep, the person finally realizes despite being told multiple times yeah. through multiple ways that you're not who they think they're talking to and watching them like pedal back and try to save <laughs> yeah. face is so fucking funny. It is funny. <laughs> it is funny. Yeah. Yeah, that's when that's when you see like the you're an imposter. It's kind of messed up of you to like pretend to be your dad like that. It's just like, yep, I don't know. Yep. I didn't ask for the name. Yeah, no, right, and yeah, you know, you know, it'd help if you put a junior at the end of it. And it's like I don't want to. I don't like the junior. I don't like. It. Like, you know, it would it would help if you didn't drink and take Ambien at the same time. <laughs> it would help if you weren't such a fucking idiot. <laughs> Oh man, I it's that's been provided me with so much entertainment over the past yeah, few months. Yeah. It's been great. Yeah. Um so you're I you I, I know you're a musician. I don't know what you're currently where I know you were. I know what you had what the projects you had been involved in. And um are you do you got stuff going on now? Or are you working on stuff I do. now? Music I do, yeah, yeah. I do. It's uh it's been a long time coming, but uh, it's I've actually got two songs uh, sent through the whole, uh, <clears throat> like uh, through CD Baby, the whole distribution process. So they'll they'll be out soon, um, and I'll make an announcement. I don't know that I really want to like you know give too much info about it right now because it's not all finalized. But um, but yes, I do. I do have music coming out very soon, probably sometime in the next month. Oh, nice. Yep. So you were you're exactly the same age as me then. Sam, you you're eighty seven too, right? Eighty eight, baby. Eighty eight. So like, what was uh, were you a, were you like a metalhead growing up? Were you into metalcore and hardcore and all that kind of stuff? Or? No, that came later on. Um, I growing up, um, I was really into um, <laughs> hip hop. Yeah, like Christian hip hop. Oh, let's get into right. Christian hip hop. Now we're talking. Yep. Like I don't it's know. It's only you and me. We're the only Christian hip hop fans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you're, you got, you remember the dude named T Bone. Yeah, I saw T Bone live, dude. T Bone, <laughs> dude. I fucking love T Bone, and I don't know why. I like still to this day. I'm like, what the hell was it? You know. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, I, I listened to a lot of Christian rap. I don't think I had any T-Bone albums, but he came to Lansing at one point and played it like this mega church there. And uh, my buddies and I went and watched it and it was, it was interesting. interesting I feel yeah. like Christian hip hop shows, not, not the same as like normal hip hop no, shows. It's absolutely not the same. I don't Is it because it's 99.8% white? middle school yeah. 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 yeah 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 that's yeah who's who's some of your other favorites um growing up i was really into like pod pod was like a huge staple christian oh yeah yeah christian band right. under oath um norma jean like but oh, that yeah. was kind of all later all later on in in like later teen teen years um uh, I, I tried to avoid Christian music as much as I possibly could. So I try to like, I'd go to Walmart and sneak CDs. Um, so like I, you know, was huge, huge pop punk kid. So newfound glory, blink 182, some 41, all those bands, like wasn't really allowed to have those CDs, but I'd go get them. And that's, that's what I'd listen to mostly. Blink-182 was such a big deal for me. And it was one of those ones that, you know, it was, my parents were, there was a lot of music they didn't want me to, kind of not want me to have. They never, like, drew hard lines in the sand. But there was enough conversation about it where I was like, I don't know if it's worth the risk bringing this into the house. But it was, but bands like uh, Newfound Glory, it was always like, no real concern because they didn't swear, you know, yep. there wasn't yep. a lot of objectionable content going on there. So it's like, if they found that, they're just going to listen to it and be like, okay, we're fine. Yep. It's not like they found like Eminem, like yeah. an Eminem album hidden under my like mattress, you know, that would yeah. have been a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Blink-182 got pretty raw. Oh yeah. Some of their stuff, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. yeah for sure. I feel like I missed pop punk. Like, I was only doing Christian bands at the time. So there was like Reliant K, FM Static, and Hawk Nelson. Shout out John Steingard. <laughs> but Reliant K, actually, they're an awesome band. Like, Yeah, I still, still fucking love them. Dude, they're a great band. Great songs, great songwriters, yeah. Yeah, that's good stuff. Uh, really important question. Uh, what's your favorite P.O.D. album? Oh, man. Uh, I don't remember the name of it honestly but it's the the one with the dude the like wooden dude with his hand up he's like got the his heart the first the, the, the not the first first Fun, album fundamentals but like, of, fundamentals yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. okay yeah this is the fundamentals of south town or something like yeah, that yeah yeah there we go they did have an album Solid. they had an album before that it was like not super well known but um that was my favorite one for sure yeah i really would kill to get sunny on the podcast that would make me um, the guitar, oh, yeah. I, I think his name's Mar- Marcio or Mar. I, I'm not sure, sure his name. He's a good friend of my dad's though. And he, he, we, we will communicate every once in a while on Instagram. So it's, it's kind of cool. Like, uh, yeah, yeah awesome. he, he like, he wished me a happy birthday. One of my posts and Cal, my buddy Cal, he like blew it up on like a print. <laughs> <laughs> like, That's great. I got, I could not. I, I didn't stay into them after Satellite. I loved Satellite. Yeah, I, yeah. So many of the words to that. I, it's still to this day, like, you know, a friend of mine and I will, anytime we're in the car together, it's like, we'll throw on Youth of the Nation or something like that and just yeah. rap through the whole thing. With Everyone them. can sing along with that. It's so fun. <laughs> the next album was good too. 
I think it was just called Payable on Death, but I liked that one too. After that, it got a little, little rocky. A little rocky. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get to meet a ton of like bands and stuff in that vein, yeah. like yeah. back then? Yeah, met a lot of Christian bands, uh, mostly at like the festivals. The, the Christian festivals was a big, big thing. So everyone's kind of just all hanging out in one big green room. <clears throat> uh, met some like you know non just secular mu- musicians as well and met a good amount of people yeah. isn't it weird when you get to a point in your life where you don't have to use the word secular anymore but once you're hanging out with people who grew up christian <laughs> right now i know right out. Exactly. <laughs> i know you probably haven't used secular i haven't i haven't i haven't or I, I can see even. it in your face <laughs> yeah yeah you yeah. uh. Man, that's that's awesome. <laughs> Do you um you're so I mean obviously you're you haven't had the conversation but it sounds like just I don't know despite some of the weirdness of growing up and having a semi-famous dad like you guys seem like you have like a decent relationship it doesn't sound like there's any real issues there or any falling outs because of some of that stuff or anything like no, that. There's no there's no there's no falling yourself. outs because no not because of uh not because of that the religious stuff um he he kind of just like kind of accepted it i think and yeah yeah just guys do your own thing (laughs) yeah yeah did uh like crazy fans aside did he was he did he ever get any backlash from like ultra conservative christians or anything like that yeah um be uh, i think at the start of it all like when they were early 80s when they were first getting things going they were getting a lot of heat from both sides from you know christian conservatives and from you know the like you know black metal satanists stuff like that um uh the the christians thought they were a sat the they were satanists and, uh, you know, it was just, yeah, he did. And, and it kind of led up, I think once they kind of gained their following and, you know, kind of became this like staple Christian hair metal band, um, that they are, but, uh, recently, more recently, I think they're starting to get a little more controversial. Um, some of the fans are starting to bite back a little bit and, uh, you know, I think their last, their last album, not their last album, the album before the second to last album was called like Goddamn Evil. And, mm. you know, yeah, it's like, and they kind of spicy. They, they like Sweet. to do that. They do that often where it's like they kind of, you know, uh, like this could be interpreted a different way. But um, so, and then some of the, you know, a lot of the fans don't like that. A lot of the fans will come after them. And uh, so it's, I can understand how that's probably tough. Uh, you got to cater to try to cater to everyone, but it is weird when you get to a point where you build, I think this happens in probably more so Christianity than maybe other things. You could see other musicians branch out and try new styles, uh, and and it works for them, but Mm -hmm. with certain and Christianity, it's like when you are put into, when, when you build your career off of uh, a certain type of belief system, whether you're, I mean, cause they weren't, I mean, obviously they had like to hell with the devil, whatever. Like yeah. it seems like this goddamn evil thing is almost like a 
kind of trying to push it in the way that that song probably did when it came out. Right. Exactly. Not, exactly. It, yes. It's kind of like a, based on the time past, like a, kind of equates. Yeah. Um, yep. yep. But when you're like, but when you're doing anything in the Christian world, it's like when, when you're elevated to a, the point where you're kind of stuck in a system of thought, like, it's so much hard. It's that's like harder than changing your music style. It's like if you, I mean, even say your dad, like, like he starts losing his faith or he has an evolving faith. What if he becomes a progressive Christian, right? All of a sudden it's like, and maybe he is, I don't really know, but like for him to try to express that in this music is basically career suicide. And mm-hmm. Christians really make you weigh your livelihood versus your integrity frequently mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. pretty tough and frustrating <laughs> absolutely yep original cancel culture yeah 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 <laughs> yeah do you think that uh do you think that some of that like the the ugly side of the church that you saw in relation to like your dad's band is that do you think that that had anything to do with some of your disillusionment with it yeah probably maybe um a big a big thing was you know seeing how the fans are treating the band you know how why are these christians idolizing these men um and uh some of the the other you know the stuff that i saw in the church was was more so between like you know families like there was like a lot of like affairs happening and like some shady shady stuff that like you know things that like my non-christian friends wouldn't even do so so uh, yeah yeah that can uh set in some disillusionment when you yeah you're in a space that's supposedly based on their faith going to function and and be different I, I christians really shoot themselves in their foot a lot because there's this irony to their message of like um Oh, we're all these like depraved, awful sinners uh, and we're nothing without Jesus. But then they, you know, they do they, th- yeah. like things that they should. And, uh, but they, yes. you can't like you can't really be that you can't really be that on a trajectory towards improvement. Like you really just you have to talk bad about yourself, but hide all the filth. Otherwise, you just lose your place in that world. And it's kind of tough. If yeah. you are actually struggling with something, yeah. it makes it worse because you're like, I have to hide it. I have to hide it. I have to hide it. And then you might act on it in a way that's more severe than you would if you're just able to be like, I'm dealing with this bullshit right now. Who's here to help me? Right. Yeah. Did. Uh, so like when you kind of drifted out of it, like was, I know there wasn't like a, uh, 180 degree shift you know right away but was there a point that you remember where you were just kind of like you know what i don't mind saying this anymore but i'm not a christian yeah um i guess there was sort of a point and it's more of a realization that i have lived my entire life and i've not once ever seen or experienced or felt any godlike thing or anything like that i've never I've never uh, felt God in my whole life. 
And that was kind of the realization for me was it's just like, well, wait a second, you know? About when was that for you? When you were like, when you realized that, oh, shit. Um, Yeah, probably. um, I was probably about 22 or 23 years old, my early 20s, right after my mom died. That had a big part of a big uh, factor of me stepping away, too, was uh, dealing with the death of uh, someone close like that. Um, It kind of makes you reevaluate a lot of things in your life. And it makes you start thinking very deeply about things and uh, asking a lot of questions. And that was definitely a turning point in, in, in that whole thing. Yeah. I I imagine never, never feeling a connection to it. And then something like that happening, like it's kind of like a big realization and a difficult one. I mean, that's a tough time. Like it's fun. A lot of, it's funny when, you know, some, it's interesting. I don't want to say funny. Um, you know, some people's reactions to a loss like that is like, like an ultra double down, right. Mm-hmm. Into, into faith mm-hmm. as like looking for the explanation. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I sometimes with extreme reactions, you're like, I don't know if that's a, I think it might not always even, it's not really always a healthy approach. I don't really, not, I'm not a psychologist, but I think, so that is, it's interesting when you, but maybe those people have always had a feeling or had an experience to fall back on to at least confirm maybe mm-hmm. this is a direction I want to go. And I think that's, I, I don't, I guess I don't know exactly. I'm not trying to make a point or anything. I'm just thinking through maybe and trying to articulate the why people might have different responses to different difficult circumstances like that but mm-hmm. i imagine uh did you i shouldn't say i imagine but was it a, around that time that you were like you know i've never even really experienced this thing at all i've never felt like there's a god so why no I'd why be, would i turn to that it was i guess uh, like sort of around that time but i had always questioned it i had always questioned it long before my mom passed it was always a thing um probably from age like 16 on mm-hmm. from age 16 on is when i really started to like stop i stopped going to church stop doing anything church related um i'd be told to pray about things and i would just you know laugh it off and um so i already kind of had that mentality before before and um, going into after, after her, her passing, it, it was sort of like a, you know, well, you know, I've never, I've never had a God moment. I've never felt God. I've never had a miracle or, you know, the, you know, some people are so quick to just like say everything was God, like every little thing yeah, is a blessing from God, every little thing. And it's not, and it's, you know, um, I hate that mentality, dude. I can't stand that. I think it's small mind thinking, man. And, uh, once you realize, or once I realized that I had never, never felt that or ever had an experience like that, where it was like, oh my God, like this is a, I guess, I guess you could say like a supernatural experience when it comes to, to God, never, never had it. So just, it's probably not ever going to happen. 
Did you uh, like? I know when when I really came to grips with the fact that like there's nothing here for me, and there hasn't been for a long time. Like I don't have any connection to this thing anymore, other than just feeling obligated to keep up the facade. Yes. Like did you? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So did, for sure. Did you feel? Did you feel angry? A little like, bit. Because I still do. I still, I still feel some anger towards the the whole, you know, Christianity as a whole. I do. It's easy to be angry at in the past few years. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah. It's yeah. That's what's yeah. Um, <clears throat> but like you said, the obligation. I definitely felt some obligation to kind of pretend. Like I was still, you know, I had to sort of fake how I really felt about things, which was also probably another reason to me stepping away because if, you know, why should I have to fake something like that? Um, Yeah. It's so, I mean, it's so one of the things we try to, I guess we get into a good bit uh, either intentionally or unintentionally is like why people, our generation feel so adversely affected by, um, aspects of our upbringing and compared to our parents generation particularly those who found faith in a in their like early 20s right like a lot of them were like just kind of doing their thing maybe grew up in it but it wasn't that serious and then they found it and they really dug in deep and then they had kids and they tried to raise their children in the faith and 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 seeing maybe the difference of how like the belief system they adopted post their development, their brain development versus enacting that system of belief on developing minds and the way that the two would internalize it differently is like, I'm very fascinated by that. And I feel like that has something to do with why our generation is having such a difficult time making making sense of it. I don't know. It, it has, it's had its, its effect on us and, you know, having a, an upbringing where you felt like you couldn't really be honest about who you were and yeah. what you were feeling yeah. what you were thinking at a time where like f- being able to trust the people around you with those thoughts and feelings is like so important to childhood development that like, it's just such a shame like that we all went there, that we all had to go through that. It's just this yeah. Yeah. constant faking and pretending. Yeah. I feel like that generation almost acts like they don't like to talk about those types of things. It's almost like there's kind of a consensus that like to give voice to those doubts and concerns or problems or sorrow, depression, whatever, you know, big box of bad thoughts, right? To like, to, to speak them out loud, almost like manifest them in their mind. Hmm. It's like deal with it, just just push it out of there and move forward. And that's that's and I feel like that's where you know that's part of why you know I, I think that's part of why I've never had that conversation with quite a few of the people in my life is just because it's like it's not real if we don't say it, mm-hmm. or at least you don't have to deal with it. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's like that fear to confirm even that it might be true. But even when we're like younger, you know, when I was younger, my, my older brother, he's a year and a half older than me was way. I didn't really have a lot of doubts, I guess, at, as a teenager, I was just really like, Oh yeah, this is, this is uh, all there is. This is the truth. And I know for sure, but my brother was not like that. And I was wicked concerned about it. Like it bothered me. I was nervous. Like it was worried that he was going to like, leave the faith and i had those concerns i didn't really verbalize them but i remember conversations i would have with them where you were like ask leading questions to try to bring them in i don't know I, and how was, how old were you i was like 16 you know yeah 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 i i, I was uh i adopted it all very heavily like because i you know i i took it all the way to college and got a bible degree right so wow uh, and yeah yeah it was it, you know then you know for me, it was like graduate college with a Bible degree, go like, you know, move to Boston, do a whole like I was start, I moved to Boston to like because I wanted to be part of a church plant out there. Like up into my early 20s, I was still like doing the typical thing, hmm. uh, evangelical Christian thing. And then uh, that's when, you know, my mind, I, I started having a shift in. He faked hard. Way that I, yeah. Yeah. So. You know, but like when my brother was going through his doubts in high school, it was like really concerning to me. And uh, I remember him like having conversations with my parents and my mom was usually the one I think that would have the conversations with him. And it's weird, like the difference, because, you know, we all grew up in the same home, but we had such different experiences with our faith and how we talked about it and what we were comfortable talking about, like. And I don't even know why, like I have no clue. Cause me and my older brother were close enough in age where like, we legitimately had the exact same upbringing, same rules, same everything. We were, it was like, might as well have been twins. Um, and to, to be able to have those, be comfortable having different conversations with the same people, I think shows a lot about my, probably my own insecurities too. And why I clung to maybe faith or, and my brother didn't, but, it, it's so it's strange when you see people having those doubts. Um, I think just thinking about it from my own age, where it's like having when he would have those conversations with my parents, and I'm like sitting at the top of the stairs, like, is he gonna like just throw it all out the window tonight? Like it's so I even my mom having those. I don't remember what the conversation sounded like, but I'm sure my mom felt uncomfortable about it and was trying to find a way to like let him let him have his questions and, and doubts, but also there is that feeling that you need to guide them back into it mm. when you have those conversations. And mm. I, I did that to a lot of people up mm -hmm. into my early twenties. I felt like I had to bring people back into it and make sure I was doing my best to, to lead, to not lead people astray. And to, if they had their questions, like how do I make space for it? But also, answer it in a way that they're going to be like, Oh, you're right. I'm in like, that's so much to deal with. And I feel like my parents and anyone who, any evangelical parent who, whose kid was doubting or whatever, was probably struggling with the same types of feelings. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Man, that's, that's, that's crazy, man. It's a lot of pressure on you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> It is. Yeah. Some it of it is. we put on ourselves. So, I, I mean, institutionally, I think the evangelical culture puts that pressure on people. I don't mm -hmm. want to like put it on one person or 
parents or a, a pastor. But I actually took this weird circulatory problem it's, of pressure. It, it's like the message you you hear these messages so often and while they might be like specific to certain topics, like they're kind of vague. And I think a lot of that negative pressure and stuff that you feel, at least how I felt, you know, I don't think it's so much that anyone taught me like this is, you know, you should feel ashamed if you're not feeling this or you should feel this. And the re- the fact that you don't is, is means that there's a problem with you. It's almost just like how I internalized the, the vague things that, that I heard over and over again. It's, it's like, it's, it's, there's parts of things that, you know, it's really easy to throw onto the church and kind of blame the community. And then there's, but there's other things where I feel like you almost have to kind of take responsibility for like, this is how I, in my, with my insecurities, this is how I interpreted this to this end. And like, these are probably feelings that any kid teenager whatever would have mine just had like this religious uh like tint to him almost yeah Mm -hmm. i don't know heavy stuff (laughs) yeah man michael this was um this was cool man i appreciate you coming on and talking to us i don't know if you got anything you want to uh any stories thoughts anything you had uh on your mind that you wanted to throw our way before we get out of here but uh no man i just want to say thank you for having me really yeah a good time yeah we'll uh, we'll stay in touch cool yeah i'm uh, excited to see what new controversies roll up on the social media (laughs) yeah yeah i gotta find you on social media i need a a front row seat yeah dude it's so fun it'll be (laughs) the most fun you have you'll love it you'll we'll be screenshotting it i screenshot them all the time and send them to people like look at this bullshit this is nice yeah yeah (laughs) it is it is wild (laughs) all right well thanks for listening everyone and we will see you next time